So what makes someone a hero? Is it uh, amazing superpowers? Is it really cool outfits? Is it daring acts of bravery? You know, the superhero genre of TV shows and movies has absolutely dominated over the last decade or so. There's this strange fascination in our culture with, with superheroes. We like to imagine a world where people with special gifts and abilities use them for good, to save the world, to, to stand up for evil, uh, stand up against evil. For us, superheroes are kind of like these idealized human beings, uh, uniquely and supremely talented, able to go beyond even the laws of nature. Normal human beings, by comparison, are just mere bystanders, virtually powerless compared to, the, to what these superheroes bring to the table. But is that really how it works? Because, you know, at the same time, we're also pretty quick to, to say that, that ordinary people demonstrating extraordinary courage or selflessness or virtue in the face of difficult circumstances, well, they're, they're also heroes, aren't they? That they live lives that, that are worth emulating. And while superhero movies may be raking in millions upon millions and, and dominating the charts, everyday heroes, not on the big screen, are doing what they can with what they have, where they are, to make a very real difference. What makes someone a hero in the faith? When someone asks us about, about superheroes in the Bible, there's, there's probably a pretty predictable list, I'm sure. You know, Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and Elijah and Jesus and, and Mary, maybe even Simon Peter and Paul. However, there are even more ordinary people of faith in Scripture, those who do what they can with what they have, where they are, to make a difference. People from whom we have a lot to learn when it comes to, to God and the life of faith. People whose stories are worth sharing and hearing. So over the coming weeks, we are not going to be looking at biblical superheroes. We're going to be looking at bold and untold stories. Stories of those perhaps often overlooked in our biblical narratives, but people who nonetheless played an important role in God's story of rescue and redemption. People like Deborah, Amos, Joseph of Arimathea, Ethiopian eunuch. People like the two women that begin our sermon series today, Shifra and Pua. Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there that it would grow us and transform us, that we might live for you and bear fruit for your kingdom. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Reading this morning from the first chapter of Exodus, verses 1 through 22. Listen for God's word. These are the names of the Israelites who came to Egypt with Jacob along with their households, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The total number in Jacob's family was 70. Joseph was already in Egypt. Eventually, Joseph, his brothers, and everyone in his generation died. But the Israelites were fertile and became populous. They multiplied. 
and grew dramatically, filling the whole land. Now a new king came to power in Egypt who didn't know Joseph. He said to his people, The Israelite people are now larger in number and stronger than we are. Come on, let's be smart and deal with them. Otherwise, they will only grow in number, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and then escape from our land. As a result, the Egyptians put foremen of forced work gangs over the Israelites to harass them with hard work. They had to build storage cities named Python and Ramses for Pharaoh. But the more they oppressed, the more they grew and spread, so much so that the Egyptians started to look at the Israelites with disgust and dread. So the Israelites enslaved, so the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites. They made their lives miserable with hard labor, making mortar and bricks, doing field work, and by forcing them to do all kinds of other cruel work. The king of Egypt spoke to two Hebrew midwives named Shifra and Pua. When you are helping the Hebrew women give birth and you see a ba- the baby being born, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, you can let her live. Now the two midwives respected God, so they didn't obey the Egyptian king's orders. Instead, they let the baby boys live. So the king of Egypt called the two midwives and said to them, Why are you doing this? Why are you letting the baby boys live? The two midwives said to Pharaoh, Because Hebrew women aren't like Egyptian women. They're, they're much stronger and give birth before any midwives can get to them. So God treated the midwives well, and the people kept on multiplying and became very strong. And because the midwives respected God, God gave them households of their own. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Has someone with power ever asked you to do something that you knew was not right? That's precisely what confronts these two Hebrew midwives who find themselves face to face with the the power and and fear-driven king of Egypt. The Israelite people had come to Egypt because of a famine in their land. If you remember the history, God had called a man named Abraham, blessed him and made this amazing promise to him that through his family and their descendants, God would bless the whole world. God blessed them and told them that they would be fruitful and that they would multiply, that, uh, that they would be teeming with life. And so in Genesis, we follow the story of this this family through Abraham and then his son Isaac and then his son Jacob and then Jacob's 12 12 sons. And with each new generation, this family does thrive and does grow and God renews God's promise. So at the end of Genesis, uh, in spite of being sold into slavery by his brothers, Joseph, through God's faithfulness and providence and his own cleverness, rises to great power in Egypt and makes provisions for his whole family to move to Egypt during a famine. And that's where our story, of script, the Scripture story, picks up this morning. There's this big transition happening, right? We heard it. Joseph, his brothers, all of that generation has passed away. But the Israelites continue to be fertile and to multiply. And then abruptly we're introduced to, to this new king of Egypt who remains unnamed, who comes to power and does not know Joseph and does not know that story and that history. He's afraid. He's afraid of this foreign people thriving in Egypt. And so he introduces and propagates what we might call the great Hebrew replacement theory to his fellow Egyptians. 
You know, there are way too many. There are way too many of those Israelites for us to handle. We got to do something. Let's let's devise a plan to to contain them. Lest there's a war would break out and they would join our enemies, or they might just walk off and leave us. In other words, we're losing power. We're afraid they're going to replace us someday, so we have to do something to stop them. So the first strategy is forced labor, harassing them with work, making them build. Uh, big fancy storage cities for Egypt. Perhaps they think they're going to make it harder to, to reproduce. I mean, it, it makes sense, right? Usually conditions of hard labor and poverty would, would decrease infant survival rates. But, but these people of God are kind of defying that logic. Perhaps the forced construction of these cities is kind of a, a symbolic way to, to demoralize uh, the Israelites. In any case... It didn't work, and the, and the more they were oppressed, the more that they grew and spread. Who knew that uh, baby-making could be such a rebellious act, right? So they upped the ante again, and they enslaved them brutally. And then in one final fear, power-driven attempt to control, the, the Hebrew, um, excuse me, the Egyptian king calls two, two Hebrew women into his court. Two midwives, whose job it was to help bring life into the world, whose job it was to assist women in bearing children, to, uh, to, to care for them physically and emotionally, spiritually throughout the birthing process. And he tells them to do exactly the opposite. When you're helping the Hebrew women give birth, he says, if it's a girl, let it live. If it's a boy, kill it. Instead of being agents of life, They are to be agents of death. Instead of being midwives for God's blessing and life, they're to be midwives for Pharaoh's fear and death. Except, except, they refuse. They refuse. And we read these courageous, these uh, obedient words. The two midwives respected God, so they didn't obey the king's orders. We often think about Moses, right, and his epic confrontation, uh, confrontations with Pharaoh. We don't get to Moses confronting Pharaoh without these two barely known midwives standing up to him first. Long before Moses ever stood up to the state-sponsored oppression and power of Pharaoh, these two God-fearing women did. I love how... Uh, British pastor David Coleman reimagines this. He transposes it to uh, letter form. Dear Your Majesty, further to your kind and thoughtful note we received the other day, we have, of course, taken your request in hand regarding this unnecessary outcome of pregnancies amongst the Hebrew workers' women. Unfortunately, we've hit a bit of a snag, and we do sincerely hope you will understand. We are sure that the ladies of your court, being genteel and well brought up, give birth in a sedate, and gracious fashion. Our Hebrew girls are, on the other hand, we are sorry to say, rather rough and ready. Basically, they just give birth like a ferret out of a sack, if we may put it so crudely, begging your majesty's pardon. It is well nigh impossible to keep up with them. As a result, your majesty, we humbly regret to report that to date it has not been possible to implement and roll out your Hebrew pregnancy enhancement program as planned. 
As, uh, and there's just one more matter that we have to report, namely that as of sending this letter, we, both of us, your servants to the Hebrew workers, will be on maternity leave until further notice. Yours respectfully, Shepra and Pua, midwives. Now this is obviously uh, tongue and cheek, but it highlights and lifts up their, their brave cleverness. Shepra and Pua, midwives, standing over and against the king of Egypt. It's remarkable, isn't it? And it's also ironic. It's ironic because Pharaoh's own fearful bias leads him to concentrate his fear on, on the Israelite men, the male Israelites. Pharaoh thinks that the Israelite men pose the greatest threat to his power, but he overlooks the real, the real threat the two midwife women who will set the stage right then and there for God's liberation of God's people. Pharaoh may disregard the power uh, and, and the character of these women, but we know better, right? Especially when that power and when that character comes from a deep and abiding trust in a God of infinite power and love and life. I mean, what an example what an example of, of courage and strength and trust born out of reverence for God. And I can't, I can't help but wonder, right, if the experience of, of being midwives, of effectively getting to be partners with God and bringing new life into the world gave them a frequent and firsthand perspective and reverence for the power of God, right? I'm not a midwife, but I have been present for three births. And I can tell you that with each one, I was in absolute awe of the power of God the Creator. To be in, in close proximity with, with life and flourishing is to be in close proximity with the Creator God whose power makes that possible. How can you not be in reverence? What would it mean to trust God so much? to have so much reverence and awe for God that we found the courage to, to stand up to evil, injustice, and oppression. It's clear that Shifra and Pua's trust in God's power, they're all in reverence for the, the promise um, and blessing of God to bring life into the world, to be faithful in allowing God's people to continue to, to flourish. That was way stronger than any pressure from Pharaoh, from Egypt's king. They respected God more than Pharaoh. They loved God more than Pharaoh. Their first allegiance was to God, not to Pharaoh. And so they found the courage to be obedient, to continue to be agents of life for God instead of agents of death for Egypt's king, to embody hope and promise for God's people instead of fear and violence for Pharaoh's empire. Because just because someone or something powerful wants something doesn't mean God does. Just because someone or something powerful wants something doesn't mean God does. Standing strong and courageous with obedience to God in the face of, of power and pressure to do wrong carries forth blessing in life. Shifra and Pua show us how to be, how to be courageous midwives ourselves helping to birth and carry forth God's good intentions in life, even when other powerful forces seek to thwart that, and even when they try to enlist us to help. 
even when it seems foolish in the face of so much power and influence. But I'm reminded of Paul's words. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Things are not to reduce to nothing the things that are. Shifra and Pua right there. Have you ever found the courage of Shifra or Pua in the face of Pharaoh? What would it mean for us to be a a kind of midwife, helping to birth life and flourishing even when it seems hard to do so, even when faced with a powerful counterforce? I'm reminded of the witness of other Sifras and Puas throughout, throughout the centuries, relatively ordinary, not powerful people who did what was right even in the face of powerful pressure, midwives of God's life and blessing in the face of violence, oppression, and death. I think about a small Protestant village uh, of Le Chambon, France. Have you ever heard of it and what they did during World War II? I hadn't either until about 12 years ago. Bold and untold. So many of those. This village, this Protestant village, right in the face of the power of Nazi Germany and their scheme to round up Jews and send them to concentration camps, decided to take in and shelter Jewish children. 5,000 of them, in fact. One village in the face of Nazi Germany. Talk about a power differential. And yet, the leader of that community, Pastor Andre Trockmay, in true, in true Shifra and Pua fashion, declared, Look hard for ways to make little moves against destructiveness. Look hard for ways to make little moves against destructiveness. Little moves of obedience, faithfulness, and courage. Le Chambon was just a small place of refuge from the storm and also a sign that God's church was not completely dormant nor bowing to the pressure of fear empire, and power, but instead bearing forth God's desire for life flourishing. Holocaust was storm, lightning, thunder, wind, and rain, yes. Le Chambon was the rainbow. That's what one survivor said decades later. Because small acts of obedience and courage born out of trust in God can have massive Ripple effects. That's the Shifra and Pua effect. When we are courageous, when we're obedient, even in ordinary ways, God's life and love will find a way to continue to win out. God's power for life revealed often through small, ordinary acts of courage and faithfulness is undeterred by the death dealt by the powerful. Will we be Shifras and Puas in our day? Will we we be obedient midwives whose first allegiance and deepest trust is in God Almighty, continuing to bring God's life and blessing into the world? Bold and untold. Ordinary people using, doing what they can with what they have, where they are to make a real difference. Shifra and Puah. Remember their names. 
Scripture does. Actually, we know their names, and guess whose name we never know? The king of Egypt. There's some irony. Sometimes we know the names and sometimes we don't, but there are powers out there intent on getting us to do their bidding, to deal in fear and oppression, violence, or death. Have you ever been asked by someone in power to do something that you knew was wrong? If you haven't, you will. Maybe explicit, maybe subtle. But in, in those moments, friends, may we be like Shifra and Pua. Deeply loyal to God first. In awe and trust of God. With a deep reverence. So much so that we find the courage to be like midwives, looking hard for ways to make little moves against destructiveness. Making sure our actions bring forth life and flourishing and blessing. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.